Christianity. And uh, we are in chapter 2, and I'm going to look, continue to look this morning at the theme of faith and works. Faith and works. And I'd like to read um, the first number of verses out of James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And uh, we're going to go from there this morning. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and it says this. What good is it, my brothers? Okay, the, the word there is adelphoi, which means the Greek word for brothers and sisters. James is writing to Christians. He's writing to the church, and he's saying, what is it good, my brothers, like all of us, all of, all of us? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and is lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, be filled, without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? And then I want to look at this verse this morning. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. (laughs) Or someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. And I just pray this morning, Lord, as I try and share some things that you've laid on my heart that you would enable me to do with grace, that everyone in this place would be encouraged, that no one would leave not having seen Jesus high and lifted up and be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And I pray that in Jesus' name. So I, I preached a message uh, uh, before I left called Putting Grace to Work, which looked at the first portion uh, of those verses I read. And I would like to um, start in that verse, so also faith by itself, it does not, if it does not have works, is dead. And I'd like to look at that verse in particular this morning. I'd like to begin by saying this, <clears throat> that all moral problems in our lives, every issue of behavior in our lives that is out of sync with what God has for us is because of a theological problem. Every behavioral issue is rooted into a wrong thinking about God. All problems we have in our lives and how we live reflect wrong beliefs about God. And in the series of James, I've tried to show you that in particular. I've also tried to show you that Paul, the great theologian of grace, the great understanding of the gospel that Paul has, Paul and James actually do agree on the basic things. They don't wrestle with each other. And I believe Martin Luther, and I've tried to show that with you as well, that when he dismissed this book as an epistle of straw because it talked about faith and works, he missed a basic revelation that James had. And I don't believe that the gospel that Paul preached in any way contradicts the gospel that James preaches. And I've tried to root you in, in, as a church, I've been trying to root us in a confident assurance that we are saved, that nothing can take our salvation away from us, that we can joyfully live out of that place, going through the highs and lows of life, not questioning, am I a Christian, am I not a Christian, resting in the fact that we are Christians, and that God enables us to live by the, the Spirit. And that includes some mountains and some valleys. doesn't mean we're not saved. All right? And so, in James chapter 2... James has been making this basic point to these Christian believers. And what he's really concerned about is the influence that they have, the faith that they have. He's really concerned about that influence that has on other people. 
And he's in particular been t- talking about the rich and the poor. And he's saying, if you discriminate between the rich and the poor, there's something wrong with how you see God. If you discriminate between rich and poor in the church, there's something wrong with how you understand God and His great mercy towards you. It's a theological problem. And we had a look at that uh, in the last month or so. And he's particularly concerned when he sees bad influence that Christians have on others. Yeah? We all exert influence. It's either good or bad. And he's particularly concerned with bad influence that Christians might uh, show in in, in terms of other people. Remember I said um, in that message that I preached, William Booth, the the founder of the Salvation Army, he said this. He said, there's no use talking to man about his soul when he has an empty stomach. There's a very practical connection with our Christian faith. What we say that we believe and how we live does make a big difference. It, It makes a difference to others. It makes difference to the poor, to the needy, to the broken. And so James has been trying to point out to us in the second chapter that these respectable, backslidden Jewish believers have an underlying theological problem that they haven't resolved. And I want to suggest to you this morning that there are three strands of that problem that he's been addressing in the first two chapters. And it culminates in him making this very simple, very profound statement, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Yeah? And he has the three strands of the theological problem. The first strand is this, that these Jewish believers thought the most important thing above all was their personal salvation. That's all they cared about, the fact that they were saved. And James never questions their salvation in the first two chapters. They seem to know about the perfect law that brings freedom. He reminds them of that. He says, continue in the law that brings freedom, the law of liberty, the perfect law of grace. Continue in that. He encourages them in that. He says, live by the golden rule. Remember, what is the golden rule? Treat others as you would like to be treated yourself. That's the golden rule that we're encouraged to live by. Jesus said that summarizes all of the law and all of the prophets, that simple thing. Just treat others like you want to be treated yourself. And, and James encourages them. In the, he's not questioning their salvation. He's, 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 they're, they're Christians. He addresses them as brothers and sisters all the time. They're, they're fellow believers. But he, what he does point out to them, he says this, don't be a, just a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word also. He's, he's careful to point that out. So I preach that message saying, put grace to work in your life. If you experience the great salvation of Jesus in your life, live differently. It does matter. Yes, you are saved. You are going to heaven. But it does, how you live influences and impacts other people and, and, and either shows them Jesus or it doesn't show them Jesus. That's the point. So my first point out of what I'm trying to say this morning is that Christianity is about salvation. But it's not only salvation. I believe the Christian faith wants to do two things. One, it wants to first of all and primarily reconcile us to God. That we know that we are saved. We have absolute assurance that our sins have been washed away. And if you are here this morning and you don't know that, I pray that by the time you leave, you will know that Jesus has taken all of your sin upon him and you are free because of the blood of Jesus. No guilt in your life ever again. He wants us to be rooted in that. But secondly, the Christian faith wants to to enable us 
by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, to live lives that speak of God's grace to other people. It wants to do both of those things. And one of my heroes is R.T. Kendall. He puts it beautifully. He says, The purpose of Christianity is to make us fit for heaven and to make us fit for earth. But in that order. First, fit for heaven. We are saved. And then we are fit to live in a different way because of the grace of God that is transforming us from the inside out. Jesus came as the second Adam, 1 Peter tells us. 2, 21. Jesus came as the second Adam to restore to us what first Adam lost in the garden. And so because of Jesus, everything that God had for us in the garden, we are enabled to enjoy again. Relationship, fellowship, walking with Him. And 1 Peter goes on to say that we should be those, that because of what Christ has done on the cross, we should be those that follow in His footsteps. Jesus came to redeem all of creation. And we should be those that live lives that point people to that great truth, that point people to the grace of God, that point people to the cross so that people can find Him and experience that great salvation for themselves. And I want to say to you, this morning it's a great malady of the modern church. There are many Christians who are happy just to be saved. They are happy to experience the grace of God themselves and say thank you, and that is a beautiful thing. It's the most important thing. But they get stuck there. They get stuck there, and they don't live their lives for others. There's no generosity. There's, there's no loving, sacrificial giving of their time or the talent or the treasure or anything. It's okay. I'm okay with God, and that's okay with me. I want to say that's deficient. It's not the full picture of what the Christian doctrine teaches, of what the Bible teaches, the New Testament te- teaches. Are you okay this morning? Okay, I am loud, I know. Uh, <laughs> So that's the first strand of their, of their problem, these, these Jewish believers. They think that the most important thing is just that they are saved. The second problem is this, is that they think that their personal faith is enough of a witness to other people. Remember, uh, this, is the first, this is the early church. They've confessed Jesus as Messiah. They've been baptized. They've even, they've even experienced persecution. Remember, they, these, this letter is written to Christians that are scattered all over the Mediterranean basin, and they are discouraged because they've been persecuted. And so in a real sense, they've already made themselves vulnerable. They've experienced persecution. They've, they've confessed Jesus as Lord. They've been baptized. I mean, those are radical things for these, Jews, for these Jews to do. Radical. And yet James still feels the need to remind them of this and say, what good is it, my friends, my brothers, my fellow Christians, when someone says that he has faith but has no works? He's still got to remind them of that. I want to say something that I hope you understand. Faith works with God. It's the most important thing to God. It does not work with people. Hear what I'm saying? With God, faith counts for everything and works count for nothing. We come to the cross, our works mean nothing to earn our salvation. With people... With the world, faith counts for nothing and works count for everything. That's the problem. The real tension in which we live in the world. We can have faith, and this faith means everything to us. Forgiveness means everything to us, but it means nothing to anybody else. 
<laughs> and it's a beautiful thing to know the forgiveness of God. And I trust if you don't know the forgiveness of God, that you would know it by the time you leave this morning. Psalm 130, verse 4 says, With you there is forgiveness that you might be feared. That's the psalmist talking. Thank God, I, I know your forgiveness. I'm so thankful for your, for your forgiveness. And you know what your, your forgiveness results in in my life? Is that I show others by the way that I live that I fear you above all things. Not fear in anxiety, but honor and lift up. And, and you're the most important thing in my life. And so we show that we love God by demonstrating it to other people. Our faith saves us. It won't save anyone else. You need to know that saving faith for yourself. I need to know that saving faith for myself. So all of this brings James to the simple, powerful statement that faith without works is dead. So it's a good question. Perhaps you would ask me, you would say, well, and if faith is not accompanied by good works, then surely it means that we're not saved. That's a valid point. It's a good point. But it's not what James is saying here. The New Testament teaches that true faith produces works in our lives, good works. I absolutely have got no problem with that. But it also teaches us that good works contribute nothing towards our salvation. It teaches both of those things. Both are true. So James is not talking about salvation here. He's not talking about assurance of salvation either. I've tried to make that clear. What he is talking about here in chapter 2 is he's most concerned about the influence of the gospel in our lives on other people. That's what he's most concerned about. And what he's saying that meaningful faith must have a way of influencing others. Unless, and that's impossible unless we've got the same obedience of Jesus in our lives. And we're all called to be Christ-like. We're all to, called to be obedient in the same way that Jesus went to the cross in obedience to the will of God for his father, by, with the will of the Father for his life. And so that's the second kind of disconnect that these Jewish believers have. The third kind of disconnect, the third kind of strand of this theological problem, is that they think that their works don't have any bearing on their relationship with God. And I want to say something else. It's a subtle thing, and I trust you hear what I'm saying. It is possible to have a right relationship with God, and at the same time, to have a bad relationship with God. Just like in a marriage, Helen and I are legally married. That will never change. It is still possible that even though Helen and I are legally married, we can have a bad relationship. Would you agree that is possible? It is the same with God. We have a legal standing before God. We are saved by grace apart from works. That is eternally assured when you ask Jesus into your life. It is impossible for anyone to take that away from you. God does not relent. He does not take your salvation back. But it is possible for you to have a bad relationship with Him. Um, a relationship that relaxes intimacy, that, that has no intimacy. It's, there's no generosity in your life. There's no evidence of the grace of God. It is possible. And I don't say that to condemn anyone. What I'm saying is, in my own life, there have been periods in my life where I've known that I've not been in a good place with God. I've not been in a prayerful place. I've not been in a generous place. Does it mean I'm not saved? No, it doesn't. It just means my relationship with God is out of kilter and needs to be restored. And so, that's really what Jesus said. Jesus said this, talking about this relationship of, of, of 
having a right standing with God, but needing something else to flow out of your life. I would say that good works flowing out of your life are evidence of a healthy relationship with God. I would put it like that. And so that's what Jesus says. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before all men so that they might see your good works. (laughs) See your good works and give glory to who? To you, no. Give glory to your Father in heaven who is there. Matthew 5, 16. Give glory to Him. The good works that flow out of your life show people Jesus. It's all about Him. It's remembering Christ, everything that we do. And so good works glorify God, and they strengthen our faith. And James's point is that if you are a hearer of the Word and you're not a doer of the Word, you never move beyond being saved. And it's great that you're saved. It's great that I'm saved. But James is trying to encourage us to move beyond just enjoying personal salvation. And, you know, it's great to get together and worship and we love each other. This is fantastic. This is, this is fantastic. But it's not, this, is not the real, this is not the main thing. The main thing is how we live Monday to Saturday. The main thing is about how you are interacting in your workplace with other unbelievers. That's the main thing. This is just like the second half of the football game or the, 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 the interval of the football game, isn't it? Yes, it is. The, the real thing is not what we do on Sundays. The real thing is what we do during the week. And so some people never grow beyond that. I've known Christians that have been Christians for 20 years that are still unsure that they are Christian. They have no personal assurance of their salvation. And because of that, they never move and never grow. They live at that place all of their lives. And their influence, the faith that they have, never influences or impacts anybody else. James is trying to encourage us to move beyond that point. I want you to know that you are saved if you've asked Jesus into your life. Romans says, simply, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you are saved. It's a done deal. No one can take that away from you. Yeah. And then James starts to get rude. And until I started investigating some of the language, I didn't realize how rude James actually was being with these believers. You know, sometimes we read, we read the Scripture and we think it can never be impolite. Well, he has an example of James being very straight, very impolite with these people. <laughs> and he says this, he uses this phrase. Why does he use this phrase, faith without good works is dead? Why does he use that word dead? Well, it goes to Romans 6.11. The word that Paul uses in Romans 6.11, he says we need to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. Remember, we've preached on that. The word there for dead is the word for dead body. It's the word for corpse. And this is why he's being rude. He says, faith without works is like a corpse. It is like a dead body. And remember, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to fellow believers. He's writing to his dear friends. He's saying this. His faith without works is like a dead corpse. It's like you once were alive, but now you are a corpse. At once you would have cared when someone was needy. You would have taken care of them. In, in the midst of you, you don't give, you don't give two hoots anymore. There's, like, there's just a disconnect between what is in the heart and what is in the head and the way that you live. That's what he's saying. So they're still saved. Nothing can take away that saving faith, but it's like their faith has become dead, cold, useless to themselves, and useless to anybody. It is like a corpse. 
And so I want to encourage you that we don't let that be the state of our lives as believers. I think there's nothing more scandalous than Christians without a testimony of good works. It's like a drunk standing on the street corner handing out Christian tracts and trying to get people saved. It's like a man who sleeps with a prostitute coming and telling you that actually he, he shared the gospel with her. That's how scandalous it is if we do not have good works flowing out of our lives. And, J- and James uses this very rude image. And I want to tell you, it gets even worse. <laughs> there are three images he uses. The second one, he says in verse 18, he talks about lazy Christians. He says, some will say, I have faith, but you have works. In other words, he's anticipating an argument. And people use this argument. I've heard it before. They talk about gifts. Oh, it's your gift. You're, just more, you're more practical than I am. I mean, I don't have your practical gift. I mean, I can't do stuff. You know, I've got faith. I believe, but I can't do stuff. It's like an excuse. And he nails it on the head. Right there. <laughs> he just says, ah. It's not, it's not about gifting. It's not about, I've got a gift of faith and, and you're more practical than me. No, no, he says, he just says, show me your faith apart from good works and I will show you my faith by works. In other words, he's being cheeky. He's, being, he's, he's actually being uh, chiding them and he's saying, this faith that you say you have, it's invisible. I can't see it. It's making no difference to your life. And he says, I want to show you in a visible, practical, obvious way that I am saved because there's good works flowing out of my life towards other people. He has the, he has the most shocking one for me. <laughs> and I wish he hadn't read it, but he did. Verse 19. As if dead corpses and lazy believers wasn't enough of a slap around the head, James delivers another one. He says, You believe in God? You believe that God is one? Well done. Good on you. Even the demons believe and shudder. (laughs) You know what he's saying? He's saying lazy believers. You're a lazy believer? It's like you're a believing demon. That's what he's saying. saying it's as good as being a believing demon. If you believe and you're inactive in your faith, he's saying... It's like he's comparing the images to a trembling demon. And why do I say, I mean, it's there. I can't avoid but say it to you because it's there. So what is he saying? What is true faith? True faith is a gripping conviction in your heart that what God says above all is true. All right? And that conviction is so powerful that it compels you and compels everything about your life and you cannot help yourself but act upon what you feel in your heart. That is, that is true faith. Right? It is possible for that conviction to become intellectual, to become cerebral, to become so in the back part of your thinking that it no longer affects your heart in any meaningful way. And that's exactly what James is saying. So you go to church, you sing the songs, you know the gospel intellectually, but the, your faith has become so dead it no longer compels you out of love to reach out to anybody or to give for the needy or to put yourself out in terms of your time or your priorities or financially for the kingdom of God. There's, there's, no, there's a disconnect. And James is purposely shocking these Christians 
and saying that even demons believe with that kind of faith. (laughs) That's what he says. He says it touches their minds. Why? Because they know it's true. He says, secondly, it touches their emotions. Why do we know it touches their emotions? Because he says the demons shudder. They know something. They know something's true, and they shudder. They tremble. But their knowledge doesn't lead them to repentance, and it doesn't lead them to do anything for the kingdom, and as such, they are useless for the kingdom. Man, strong language. And I believe James makes this bold claim, saying, I will show my faith by what I do, for three simple reasons. One, he cares above all what God thinks. He wants more than anything to please Jesus. He wants more than anything to glorify God. There's a beautiful prayer in Psalms where David says, against thee alone and thee alone have I sinned. That's a prayer of a godly man, knowing that actually at the end of the day, it's about Jesus, about God. It's not about anyone else. At the same time, I believe that James cares about what other people think. Why do I say that? Well, it's not what they think of him. It's what they think of Jesus after they've met him. He is desperately concerned that after people have met him, they will have experienced something of who Christ is, that they will, be, they will be without excuse. They would have seen something of Christ in him. He doesn't want to lose any person because of a bad testimony. I want to encourage you, let that become the greatest concern of our hearts too. That when people meet us, they will know something of the flavor of Christ and how we live. And thirdly, James, he's very concerned about his own spiritual growth. He knows that good works flowing out of his life confirm his salvation and strengthen his own faith, and they please God, and they glorify God, and when there's no good works, there's a weakness that becomes come, and there's discouragement, and we are poorer and weaker if we do not have good works flowing out of our lives. And I want to encourage you to let that become a revelation this morning for your own life. There's got to be something flowing out. There cannot be salt and fresh water at the same time. So I want to conclude by saying this. It's good if our lives are characterized by obedience, godliness, Christ-likeness, good works, all these things. These things will please and glorify God, bring Him glory. At the same time, it leaves other people without excuse. They've got no excuse to blaspheme Jesus because they've seen something in your and my life that speaks of Him, speaks of Christ, speaks of the love of God. But we do live in a pragmatic world, don't we? We do live in a a people where people will ask questions and do ask questions. And the problem is that no other faith in the world makes the, the huge claims, the bold claims that Christianity does. And the problem is that most people have only got a vague idea of what Christian Christianity really is. And they need to clearly see what Christianity is. And they see it in you and me, don't they? And that's why Jesus said, I want to say it again, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's why Jesus said it. And guys, your lives count. How you live counts. And so the question that all of us have to answer, you and me, Simple question, I want to conclude with this. How is your faith? How is your faith this morning? Just simply to ask you to consider that this morning. How is your faith? If you don't know Jesus, if you're not saved, I want to encourage you to get saved this morning. Now that's a starting point. There we are right with God, first of all. First in heaven, we are made fit for heaven and then fit for the earth. And then secondly, if you are saved, 
and you, you know Jesus and, and um, you've been walking with Him. I delight in that. That's a wonderful thing. But then I want to ask you this question. How is your faith? Is it full of life? Is it alive? Is it bringing hope to other people? Is it bringing life to other people? Or is your faith a little bit corpse-like? Dead? Cold? Useless to yourself, useless to other people. You're saved, you know Jesus, no, you know, not, not, no question about that, but you've become ineffective for him. I want to just ask you, you know, this morning, just in a very relaxed way, if that's you this morning, repent. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry. I, I have. I have, I have experienced a time in my life where I feel dry and useless and I feel like I'm not being effective for you anymore. I'm so sorry. Please help me. You know, this is the amazing, as I was preparing this message yesterday, this is the amazing thing I was just trying to meditate on as I was uh, preparing. God never threatens to take salvation away from you if you become a lazy Christian. Isn't that incredible? That is incredible. That is the grace of God. That is the gospel of God. He never says, I'll take away from you if you are not performing like you should be. Never. He never motivates us from fear. Ever. He doesn't try and motivate us towards good works out of fear. Ever. Man, that is incredible. It is absolutely incredible. And I hope it sets you free this morning that you are not motivated out of fear in any area of your life. Jesus loves you. That's settled. He always has loved you. Even when you were dead in your sin, He loved you. And He loves you perfectly when you were dead in your sin. And when you are saved, He loves you perfectly in the same way. It's beautiful. Let's settle that in our hearts. It's a goodness and kind of... We are motivated to good works for one reason alone. We love Jesus. That's it. Any service, I'd like to speak in the next couple of weeks about servant-hearted leadership in, the, in, the, in this church. Why do you serve in any church? Is it to score brownie points with the preacher? Is it to score brownie points with God? Is it to earn you? No, it's not. No, it's not. It's only because we are called to love people that we serve. Because Jesus loved us first. And we are grateful for that, and we just want to give, give it away. Yes? That's the supreme reason we give him everything. Our bodies, our time, our talents, our treasure. He wants to be, us to be motivated to good works out of love for him and love for other people. He wants faith with good works. Flowing out of our lives. Amen? I trust you are encouraged. And I would like to break bread this morning with you. I'd like to give opportunity for people to respond to those two things. If you're not saved this morning, if you don't know personal salvation, if you don't have the assurance that Jesus has taken every wrong thing that you've ever done upon himself on the cross and he's borne it on his body and because of what we just celebrated in Easter, his death, but above all his resurrection, that he defeated death and sin. And the Bible says all you have to do is believe that that is true, confess that with your mouth and believe it in your heart and you are saved and from that moment on you are transported uh, from the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of light, and you never ever leave the kingdom of light again, no matter if you behave badly or not. That's the gospel, okay? You can know an assurance of that in your heart. And I want you to know that assurance if you don't know that assurance this morning, all right? So as we break bread, if you want me to pray for you, I'm going to ask that you come and you stand with me and I'll pray with you. I'll lead you in a prayer that you can experience that amazing assurance of personal salvation, yeah? And secondly, if you know that something of your faith has become inactive, I don't say this to accuse anybody. Like I said, there are moments, there have been seasons in my life where I know it's true for myself. My life is prayerless. I'm bad-tempered with my family, all that stuff. I know all that stuff. And you know some of that stuff. Right? I'm not saying it's not pointing fingers at anyone. I'm saying if you know that you're in a place where you are in, there's an inactivity in your faith, that you're not, there's a disconnect, that you kind of feel like there are many more other priorities in your life rather than the kingdom. Like actually the kingdom of God is, is right down here. It's first many, many other things. And if you can fit time in, well then you've got time for Jesus. Yeah? If you know that's the reality, I want to ask you, just as we break bread, that you do business with God and you say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to put it right. Help me. Help me. I, I, I need your Holy Spirit. I need your power. I can't do this myself. That too is the gospel, that we walk by the Spirit. We don't walk by compulsion. We don't walk by preachers whipping us, saying, come on, come on, come on. It has to be from the inside out. That's the only way it's going to be sustained over 50, 60, 70 years until we go and be with Jesus. Amen?